Well, I think you'll find this uh, really interesting and helpful here. They asked uh, centenarians, people that are having vibrant health that are over 100 years old, how does they're living their best life at over 100? And, and they gave several things that they share in common. There's about 450,000 people alive right now. And again, these are people that are in their vibrant health over 100 you know, Francis de Sales back in the 1600 says, do not look forward to what may happen tomorrow. The same everlasting father will take care of you tomorrow and every day. And he notes especially either God will shield you from suffering or he will give you the unfailing strength to bear it. And we're going to step into this new year and have that same type of faith and look at examples of some tremendous people walking out that type of faith so that we can walk out that type of faith to say, listen, you know what, whatever happens tomorrow, either God will shield me from the challenges or he's going to give me the strength and the answers to step in and face those challenges and overcome them. You know, remember Matthew eleven five when Jesus was asked by the apostles of John, how do we know your Messiah? He said, blind receive sight, the lame walk, those that have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now what Jesus is quoting there is the book of Isaiah. And it's different chapters in Isaiah, but much of what he quotes is Isaiah 35. And Isaiah is written 600 BC. And Isaiah 35, verse 7, one thing Jesus, you know, talks about in other places in the Gospels is this verse here. But Isaiah 35, 7 says, the parched ground shall become a pool. So you think about in Isaiah where he was living, it was a desert. And if you didn't have water, you would, you know, not be able to survive. But a short period of time, you know, perhaps a day, two or three. But he said, you know, God, he takes the parched ground and he turns it into a pool. And he's using a metaphor for not just physical, but spiritual life as well. Then in those dry places, Christ steps in and he makes those places living water. It gives us hope in the most dire circumstances. You know, it's, it's physical joy that's promised. It's a picture of redemption in our day-to-day -day life now. And so when John the Baptist apostles or disciples, they asked Jesus, how do we know you're Messiah? And he says, because everything's changing. And so we can stay day-to-day. -day. You know, the parts ground, the challenges in life, you know, God is making those into pools of living water. I love this here from Louise Hay. She's a speaker and author, but she talks about the importance of gratitude. And she starts each day giving thanks to her bed for a good night's sleep. You know, nothing's too small to have gratitude for. And that's what she wants us to understand from her example. And again, it's a spiritual place to say moment to moment that we can stop and see God's hand even in the midst of, you know, whether we're on a mountaintop experience or the valley experience. There's a popular quote, and it actually comes from Count de Buffon, who was a cosmologist in the 18th century. And you hear this quote and maybe see it on posters and things. It's very true. And he says, never think that God's delays are God's denials. You know, God's delays are not God's denials. But there's more to that statement. After that, he said this. He said, hold on, hold fast, hold out. Patience is genius that we might have, again, that, that same attitude to hold on, hold fast. God is going to turn the parts ground, whatever that is for us individually, you know, things around us in the culture, whatever that may be to say, because he's that living Christ. I want to share something here. I think this was a, a great study here, Tony Robbins. And listen, I, I love teaching. I love school. But some of the things that we have to step into as adults that may not serve us any longer that we, 
you know, we're conditioned when we're younger, people still wrestle with some of these things. So you think about the, the way our school system is, is set up. You know, you have to report on time to your, to your desk or your station. And when you get there, you're not supposed to talk to your neighbor. And what was that design? Well, that was designed to get people ready to work at an assembly line. But here's the thing, you know, if you don't talk to your neighbor today, if you don't have good relationship skills, you know, you're not going to go very far personally, let alone as you're pursuing a business goal. But think about some of the other things that happen in school. You know, if you got a, a C grade, they told you that you're average. A, a terrible thing to tell anybody. You know, everybody is unique and has a calling in their life. If you got a D, you're below average. If you got an F, they said, well, you're a failure. And some of these things they carry with us into adulthood so that we might think, listen, if I talked in school, I got disciplined. So now I don't trust people a whole lot. Or you think, you know what, when I got bad grades, you know, I got shamed for that. So I'd rather not risk anything because I don't want to take a chance of being called a failure again. And that's why it's so important that we step into saying, you know what, let me have this sense of overcoming fears of failure, fear of other people's opinions, and put on the mind of Christ and think differently about life. You know, you might have some things like Richard Brody talks about that you call the undones in life. These are things that are energy drainers. And maybe as you step into the new year, you're thinking about chores or assignments, you know, relationship issues, other issues that need to be resolved. And there's certain ones when you think about them, they just give you that tension inside. And those are the undones. And, you know, there's only two things to do with those undones. Either, you know, decide you're going to do them or decide you're never going to do them. And it might be time to let go of some of those undones. You know, as Brody says, you know, maybe doesn't count. For each of those undones, decide, are you committed to do it? Or are you going to give yourself permission to never do it? And stop beating yourself up about not having done it. We want to walk into this year with a sense of, you know, the weight lifted off our shoulders, looking forward to what's possible, looking for those parts, places to be turned into those pools. And in that place, you know, to walk in and say, let me then live at a different life. So let me share what uh, they gave the centenarians, a few things here. And you might take one, two, all of these, but each one of these can be something you can begin doing today because what they shared about how they're living a vibrant life, over a hundred, they practice these things for, for years and years and years. And so let me give you each of these real quick and why they're important. And again, take one, two, three, take all these and you can start changing these today. But the first thing, practice less is more. Practice less is more. What they shared is, you know, have less meat, animal fat in your diet and keep your daily intake at 1,900 calories at the most. We all know you can go to a, a coffee shop and you can order a drink, get all the things added into it, and you'll have, you know, over 1,000 calories in one drink. And, and so what they've said is, listen, your body just isn't designed to constantly just consume and process all this food. And so less is more. So understand again, practice less is more. Next is exercise and motion is a way of life. And they talk about the importance of daily activity, you know, whether it's walking, swimming, whatever that might be to exercise daily, let it be a part of your life. Motion is so important, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally. Number three is to have optimism especially when dealing with the challenging moments. And again, we're going to see that's true for us in Christ. No matter what we face, again, he's turning those parched grounds into 
the pools, but optimism. We'll see much about our thoughts here in just a moment. And, and again, if you're not practicing optimism, take on some of these characteristics about seeing things differently. Next is lifelong learning. And they had an example of one woman, she learned to use a computer at 101. You know, I've heard people brag they haven't read a book since high school, but the reality is if you want to grow, it's not just important to grow, but it's, it's physically healthy. It brings that vibrancy, that life. You know, another woman at 100 plus, she volunteers at church and she attends exercise classes on a regular basis. Next is to manage stress. Manage stress. How do they do that? They said the best ways they found is prayer, meditation, a walk in nature, having healthy relationships. Next is to eat healthy. You know, the, the acronym for standard American diet, ironically, is SAD. You know, and it's sad how many people eat, you know, eating too much fast food and unhealthy things. And so what they shared about the eating healthy is making sure you're taking food rich in vitamins, minerals, having more fish, more fruits, more vegetables. Next is to have a purposeful life, a purposeful life. What do they mean by that? To use your gifts and your talents to do something that you're passionate about. What are you passionate about? And then the last one here mean something to someone, mean something to someone. They talked about the importance of building relationships, but also to share wisdom that they had learned with younger people. So some great things to stop, up, stop and to take into life and say, you know, again, people talk about goals. Well, there's several. You can stop and say, let that be a goal for this year. There's a, a prayer from the Breton France, the Breton Fisherman's Prayer, and it's such a great prayer. It's, you see it on posters and cards, but it's, Dear God, be good to me. The sea is so wide, my boat is so small. And a lot of people can identify with that, that, you know, whether it's something that you're facing on individual basis or you see things in the world and you just think, God, the sea is so wide, my boat is so small. But again, we stop and say, because his grace is sufficient, we know that he is the one who promises all things are yes and amen in Christ. So let me give you a prayer to maybe think about on a daily basis. If you think about Jeroboam, you go back to 1 Kings chapter 13. Jeroboam is the first king of the divided nation of Israel. You remember there was King David, King Solomon. When Solomon dies, the nation becomes two nations. And to the north, they retain the name Israel. To the south, they call themselves Judah. They often have war with each other. Well, Jeroboam is the first king of the north, Israel. And unfortunately, he was a wicked king, and he lived that way his entire life. But at one point, he takes ill. And he's going to make this prayer here. And it's not his prayer, so to speak, to focus on it. It's just the, the meaning of the word he says here. And it's 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 6, and we're told that he's going to call in this prophet, this man, to pray for him for healing. And listen to what he says. The king said to the man of God, entreat now the favor of God and pray for me my healing. Entreat now the favor. That idea of favor there, the literal meaning means to turn your face toward. To turn your face toward. As Greg Gilbert says, in other words, ask God to turn toward me instead of away from me. To step into this year and say, God, would you 
turn your face toward me every day to say, that's the favor I want. The face of God turned toward me. You know, there's a, a gentleman who's been a hero to many, Edmund Hillary. He did what was seen as impossible. And this is where the importance of thinking differently and beyond the critics and the fears of failure, the fear of people's opinions, the skeptics. You go back to May 29, 1953, Edmund Hillary became the first man to, to climb Mount Everest. Now, expeditions with many people had tried before, and here he does it, and he gets to the top, and so he's celebrated as that person. But here's a newspaper in Europe the next day, because that same day that he was reaching Mount Everest was the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, and the newspaper headline says, All This and Everest Too. People were celebrating a new queen and now a new hero. And when Edmund Hillary descends Mount Everest, when he gets to the bottom after a few days of, the, of this mountain, there's a courier there from the queen. And the courier has his envelope and hands it to Edmund Hillary. And it says now on the front of the envelope, Sir Edmund Hillary, Knight of the British Empire. And his life's never been the same since. Before he got to the bottom, he was knighted. But I want to stop for a moment and, and say, what was Edmund Hillary's job? What did he do before he climbed Mount Everest? Because this is so fascinating here. Again, he was not an Olympic athlete. He was not somebody who had this grand experience in mountain climbing. Edmund Hillary, the first man to climb Mount Everest, was a beekeeper. But he was a beekeeper who said, everybody said this is impossible. But I don't believe that it's impossible. A different thinking, a whole different life. You know, Thomas Watson, a minister in the 1600s, shares something each of us can be a part of. He makes this statement. It was an angel that fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. An angel fetched Peter, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. And you and I can intercede and pray one for another, for our culture, for our country. And we can say, you know, let me then be that one to fetch God's blessing, his face turned toward them by my intercession in prayer. Edward Young in the 1700s, a poet said, guard well thy thoughts. Our thoughts are heard in heaven. How important is our thinking? Thinking about what is possible to focus on having the mind of Christ, what is holy and pure. Our thoughts are heard in heaven. Think about what Paul said back in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Well, where's that anger? It's in our thoughts. It's in our feelings. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry, he says. And then he goes on to say, why? He says, because you give the devil a foothold. Again, how important it is to focus on what we want and not on what we don't want. Paul says, don't even go to bed with the anger in your thinking because it sets in a chain of events, gives the devil a foothold. How many people you, know, you have 60,000 thoughts a day and how many have these negative thoughts and they stack those negative thoughts on more negative thoughts and they stack those and this continual process and they then wonder again why their life does not look like that kingdom life where Jesus says, 
turns those dry places into pools. You know, Benjamin Disraeli, another incredible statement, prime minister of the UK in the 1800s says, nurture your mind with great thoughts. You will never go any higher than you think. Do we feed ourselves things that nurture that type of thinking in Christ? Average person, you know, watches roughly 50 hours of TV. The garbage in, you know, the constant saturation of that negativity, toxic stuff? Or do you spend time like those centenarians said, you know what, it's, it's, in, it's in prayer, it's in walking in nature, it's in sharing life with other people, it's, it's in lifelong learning. It's there knowing the parched ground should become a pool. Here's what's true for, for you and I right this moment. Greg Gilbert shared this. Jesus receives our sin and we receive his righteousness. He suffers, we rejoice. He is mocked and we are honored. He is rejected and we are welcomed. He dies and we live. And that's only the beginning. So again, some things to stop and think about here as we enter in now into this new year and there's challenges, sure. But to stop and say, you know what? My prayer, God, my boat is small, the ocean's wide, but if you turn your face towards me, I can face anything. George MacDonald, a minister in the 1800s, said, if instead of a gem or a flower, we could cast the gift of a lovely thought into the heart of a friend, that would be giving as the angels give. It all starts, again, with how we think. Do we get out of bed and just say, thank you, God, for a good night's rest? Or do we get out of bed with these stacking of negatives and fears and doubts and what are other people going to say? You see, we can break free of any of that conditioning in the past by simply believing and knowing who we are in Christ and the gift we have in him. Never forget, when I was in college, the, the president spoke to our class one day and he had heard a man speak and he said his goal before he retired that year was to bring that man to campus to speak. And, and months later he came in and he told us, he said, I, I secured a, a day that man is going to come and talk to this college and what he's going to share with you is going to change your life. And I can tell you, I never forgot that man and, and what he shared that day. The man was Louis Zamperini, and, and his life story's been turned into a movie and an incredible story. But if you don't know it, just briefly, Louis Zamperini, you know, he's a pilot, World War II, his plane shot down, and he and his crew, they end up in the ocean on a raft and almost die in the ocean. They're there for 47 days. And he said, as horrible as that ordeal was when we found land, we had no idea how bad things were about to get. On the shore, there were Japanese soldiers waiting for the raft. He was taken to a POW camp, and he would be there for three years, tortured constantly for three years by a Japanese sergeant named Matsuhiro Watanabe, a man that people called the bird. And he said, this man, the bird, just hated Louis Zamperini. Three years, there were these regular, regular, brutal beatings by the bird. 
constantly screaming and punching him every day. He would hit him with a belt. One day, the, the belt buckle hit Louis Zamperini in the ear, left him deaf for two weeks. He'd regularly starve the prisoners, and he'd laugh at it when they were so hungry. And he'd say, okay, you can eat. And he'd bring them food, only to mock them and take the food away. He gave them hard labor. He'd make them stand out all night in the winter, saluting the Japanese flag. Three years, the bird just tortured Louis Zamperini. Finally, after the camp was liberated, Louis Zamperini, you know, he got home, but he was haunted by this man, the bird. He had hallucinations seeing him. He had daily, just nightly, these nightmares. Sank into depression, became an alcoholic. He said a real turning point was when he started to choke his pregnant wife because he thought she was the bird. He was in this trance, hallucinating. You know, she broke free and, you know, she said, something's got to change. And Louis Zamperini said, I know how to fix this. I'm going to go back to Japan and kill the bird. And so every day he went to the gym and he would just punch this punching bag and he would see the, the bird every punch he was taking, training for the day he'd go back to Japan and, and take this man's life. But the depression, the nightmares, the hallucinations, the alcohol, he couldn't break free of it. And one day his wife said, listen, we have got to see a change here. I can't go on like this. Billy Graham is in town. Will you come and at least listen to this man who talks about peace with God? And Louis Amparini, he said he went, you know, he listened to Billy Graham. And he got so angry listening to this man talk about the grace of God. He got up to walk out of the crusade when Billy Graham gave an altar call. And, and Louis Amparini said, as I walked out, I heard this still small voice remind me of something. I'll share what he was reminded of here in a moment. But if you don't know the rest of the story, you know, Louis Amparini, he gave his life to Christ that night and went home, poured out the alcohol, never touched it again, never had any trouble sleeping again. He slept like a baby that night, the depression, the anger gone. So much so, he went to Japan and he wanted to speak to the bird, this Sergeant Mutsuhiro, to, to tell him about Christ. But this Sergeant refused to actually see Louis Zamperini and, and he was never able to talk to him. But he continued to spend the rest of his life. Louis Zamperini became this motivational speaker and this evangelist talking about the grace of God and listening to him speak that day I can tell you he was just full of this joy this man who for three years was tortured his parched ground was turned into this living water and Louis Amparini shared you know as he was walking out of that Billy Graham crusade that still small voice spoke and it was a reminder how on that raft he gave a simple prayer. And that prayer was, if you will save me, I will serve you forever. And when he remembered that prayer, he ran to the altar. Maybe you've had a prayer like that and you haven't followed through with it or maybe you want to offer that prayer today wherever you're at, stepping into this new year, the new possibilities that we can fetch that favor of God with prayer. Let him turn the dry places into living water. Let renewal begin. Let us walk with higher thinking, our thoughts focused on Christ because he died and we lived. And he's rejected and we are welcomed. He's mocked and we are honored. And in Christ, that's, that's only the beginning.